The earth dwellers are a specific group identified all the way through the Revelation. We've already seen them three different times who are confirmed unbelievers, who prefer darkness over the light, who have taken the mark of the beast, who refuse to bow down and call Jesus Lord. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in Revelation chapter 13, looking at the Antichrist in a message entitled, One Nation Under a False God. Last week, Dr. Brugge began to teach about the deceptive nature of this individual, and that's where we pick up today. He will make great boasts. He'll get you to believe that up is down, down is up, black is white, white is black. That if you kill your own mother, you're serving God if you're serving him. And Jesus said he will come with such powerful signs, wonders, and miracles that if possible, because it's not possible, he would deceive even the elect. Furthermore, in verse 6, he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, namely those who dwell in heaven. This man of sin is the very mouth of hell. When he speaks, hell speaks, and he speaks blasphemies. And blasphemy is when you speak evil or irreverently or profanely about God. That's one way in which you can blaspheme God. Blasphemy can also be accomplished when you claim to be God and you're not. That's what they accuse Jesus of. Why are you stoning me? Because of the good works I do? No, but because you who are just a man make yourself out to be God. You're guilty of blasphemy. That's what they said. They used the same word. Or it can be accomplished by claiming to have the power to do something that only God can do, like the power to forgive sin. And of course, as we're going to learn in the Revelation, this coming man of sin will be guilty of all three. But as Daniel says, he will speak monstrous things against the God of gods. That's what Daniel 11.36 teaches. Now, let me read the second half of Daniel 11.36. And he will prosper, listen, until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. So Daniel 11, like Revelation 13, indicates that God puts a time limit on this man's ability to blaspheme until the indignation is finished. Now, the Hebrew word indignation speaks of the righteous anger of God Almighty. Last weekend, I was in D.C., and I was witnessing to a man from Togo, and and, uh, he said to me, well, wait a minute. He said, you're a pastor. Don't you believe God's a God of love? I said, of course. Well, if God is a God of love, then he's going to send everyone to heaven. Uh, That's Rob Bell's message. That's what he spoke at Willow Creek, where he's still welcomed as a speaker, this man who performs homosexual marriages. Hey, look, friends, it's not by accident that this past week, the whole homosexual issue was front and center again. Because remember, the coming of the Son of Man will be like the days of Noah, days of moral impropriety, sexual immorality, and the days of Lot, days of moral perversion. It is not by accident that this thing... Look, again, one of the largest PCA churches in America this week had the Rejoice 
conference where they had all these speakers saying that you can be a Christian and you can be homosexual. Who would have ever thought, who would have ever dreamed that someone could, in an evangelical church so-called, take such a position? I said to him, no, God has a righteous anger, and God will vent it. Listen to Isaiah 10.25. It's used, same word. For in a very little while, the prophet says, God is speaking, my indignation against you will be spent, and my anger will be directed to their destruction. It will leave you, it will go to your enemies. Or Isaiah 26.20, come, my people, enter into your rooms and close your doors behind you. Hide for a little while until the indignation has run its course. So Daniel is speaking of God's righteous anger against his people, Israel. Remember, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. One of the functions and purposes of this seven-year period is not just to bring people who have never heard the gospel of every tribe, tongue, and nation to faith, but to bring Israel to faith. Israel will believe that Jesus is Lord. If you remember in Daniel 8, 19, he said, Behold, I am going to let you know what will occur at the final period of the indignation, for it, uh, for it pertains to the appointed time of the end. When are most Jews going to believe? At the appointed time of the end, in the latter days. And so here's this chart once again, seven years. Next event, the rapture. Could happen today. Nothing ever in the history of the church has ever needed to be fulfilled for Christ to come and gather his church. Could have happened one day after Pentecost. And then God would have fulfilled the remaining prophecies for the second coming, and Jesus would have come back shortly. All kinds of things have to happen for the second coming to occur. But that God has set the stage in our day. Israel was destroyed in 70 AD. In 135 AD, the rest of the Jews were forced to leave the nation. For 2,000 years, they had no land, but God didn't forsake his people. He gathered them back, as the prophet Ezekiel predicted, in the latter days. Latter days being the end of the end. We're in the last days, have been since Pentecost. And so Christ's return has always been imminent. But the second coming happens in the latter days, at the very end of time. The rapture, this man of sin comes on, Israel's protected, Israel's persecuted, sealed, trumpet, bold, judgments, Armageddon, that slash really is right at the second coming, but we couldn't make it quite fit like that. But they two almost happened simultaneously. We're coming to that period. So remember, the first half, Antichrist protects Israel. Second half, he persecutes Israel. And it's going to be persecution that's going to come when they say, you are a fake. We're going to study it. Be here next time. You don't want to miss it. We will see why they will come to that conclusion. And the time of Jacob's trouble will really become a time of trouble. And this is when the Jewish people are going to be converted. This is what Moses said all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 4. When you are in distress and all these things have come upon you, when in the latter days, a term used all the way through Scripture to speak of the final seven years of human history before Jesus comes back, in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and listen to his voice. 
Zechariah the prophet, speaking of this same time frame, said, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication, so that they will look on me whom they pierced. They nailed him to a cross. Isaiah writes this 700 years before Christ. Crucifixion hadn't been invented yet, and God is describing how Messiah would die. They will look on Jesus whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only son. Listen, they're going to be converted during this second half, especially many in the first half through the preaching of the 144,000 Jews, through the two witnesses in the second half, and they're going to hear the gospel, and they're going to believe in Jesus, and then they're going to see him come in the skies. As believers, they will mourn over the fact that they crucified the Messiah. Now, don't blame it on them, because the Roman soldiers actually put the nails through, and it was your hard hearts and my hard heart that were the hammers and our sins that were the nails. He was pierced through for our iniquities. We put him on that cross. Don't accuse the Jews of deicide. We nailed them there, and they are going to realize that the Messiah of Israel was rejected, and their hearts are going to be broken in repentance. Listen to what Jesus said in the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. This is Palm Sunday. He enters Jerusalem. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, if you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace... But now they have been hidden from your eyes, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. He's describing the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you do not recognize the time of your visitation. On the same day, Matthew records He weeps over the city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling, not unable, unwilling. And then as predicted by Daniel the prophet, Jesus said this in the next verse, behold, your house is being left to you desolate. And then he makes a remarkable prophecy in verse 39. Listen, for I say to you, from now on you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The rapture of the church can happen at any moment, but the second coming cannot. And one of the prophecies that must be fulfilled for Jesus to come back on the earth to rule and reign from Jerusalem is the Jewish people must say, cry out, Blessed is he, meaning Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord. Now, don't get lost in this forest of theology. The Jews are going to realize that this man's, this one world leader's theology is not consistent with what God has already revealed. They'll see he's a phony. This one, verse 6, who opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. 
Blasphemy is just going to belch out of his mouth. He will be one of the most persuasive speakers the world has ever heard. You can almost hear him too as he blasphemes those in the tabernacle of God, those Jews, those Gentiles who believe Jesus. They ought to be slaughtered. They ought to be killed. They ought to be stoned. They ought to be slaughtered. And that's what he is going to do. And we will see that, like most cult leaders who want to be worshipped, he will demand worship from the world around them. Now, secondly, I'm almost done, believe it or not. The Antichrist is coming to destroy the saints of God. Not only is he coming to defy the God of heaven, verse 7 indicates he is coming to destroy the saints of God. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Now, verse 6 indicates that Satan cannot harm the glorified saints who are in heaven. So he blasphemes those who are in heaven. But he can harm those saints, tribulation saints, who are upon the earth, with the exception of two groups of people. You can't touch the 144,000 that are preaching the gospel. This is how men are going to hear the gospel. You can take a gun and shoot them, and it won't do anything. And you cannot harm the two witnesses until right at the end when God allows them to be harmed, but then he will raise them up from the dead. But if you are a believer, Jew or Gentile, and you come to faith during this time, one of two things happen to you. Really, one of three. You either flee into the wilderness where you're protected. Two, you're imprisoned. Or three, Revelation 20 verse 4, you get your head cut off. Those are your options. Flee into the wilderness where the Antichrist can't get you. We've already studied that. Go to prison. And so Jesus speaks of this time. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me. When I was in prison, there are some believers who will be willing to identify with these tribulation saints who are in prison. It will cost many of them their lives. They'll go to prison. They'll get their heads cut off. Now, we apply that loosely today, and it's a legitimate application, but he's speaking of the coming tribulation period. Or you can get your head cut off. Those are your three options. Not a whole lot to choose. So it was given to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them, not in a spiritual sense, but in a physical sense. Remember earlier in the Revelation, we saw all the saints in heaven saying, oh, Lord, how long, how much longer are your people going to be slaughtered there on the earth? Revelation 6, 7, they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed. And so it's during this 42-month second half of the tribulation period that the final saint of God will be completed, and then Jesus will come back. Finally, the Antichrist is coming to delude the masses on earth. He's coming to defy the God of heaven. He's coming to destroy the saints of God, but he's also coming to delude the masses on earth. Again, in verse 7, an authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. World domination. You say, how will he be able to accomplish this? Well, certainly by persecution or by reward. But as 2 Thessalonians 2 teaches, by great false signs, wonders, and miracles, he'll bedazzle the world. We've seen one already today where he will have a fatal wound and he'll come back to life. 
but he will also control the governments of this world through a single economy. We'll discuss that more next time. There's going to be an economic collapse that's going to embrace the whole world. And the Antichrist will come, and through his system, he will control everything where you will not be able to buy or sell anything. It will be one nation under a false god. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Some of your translations say all the inhabitants of the earth. Some translations read all who live on the earth. The Greek text reads literally all the earth dwellers will worship him. The earth dwellers are a specific group identified all the way through the Revelation. We've already seen them three different times. Who are confirmed unbelievers, who prefer darkness over the light, who have taken the mark of the beast, who refuse to bow down and call Jesus Lord. All who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name, notice, has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. The unbeliever who worships the Antichrist, according to this verse, does not have his name in the Lamb's book of life. Now, the Bible says that these names were written down before the foundation of the world. You say, God had it all fixed, so I don't have a chance. No, God is omniscient. It's called the foreknowledge of God. People manipulate that word today, but there are four instances in the New Testament where the word prognosco just means prior knowledge. Paul said, you had foreknowledge. You knew my former way of life and what I was like before I followed Yeshua. Foreknowledge, prior knowledge. God is omniscient. He has all prior knowledge. He knows the beginning and the end. He wrote down the name of every person who would be saved. We saw already in Revelation 3, it will be impossible to erase your name if your name is in that book. But God's foreknowledge in no way mitigates against your free will. What it boils down to is your name written in the Lamb's book of life. Now, this uh, verse actually looks in two directions, but it's somewhat difficult to take the Greek and put it out smoothly in English without adding a bunch of words. On the one hand, it's looking about those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world, but it is also looking at, in the Greek New Testament, of Christ's death that was in the heart and mind of God before He ever created the world. We'll see that later in the Revelation specifically. God knew what man would do. God knew that you and I with Adam would rebel against him. And so it was in the heart of a loving God to come and save us and to redeem us. And so the slaying of the Lord Jesus on the cross was planned ever before God even planted the tree on which he would be slain. Verse 9 and 10, if anyone has an ear... Let him hear, that is, you give attention to what I'm about to say because it's really important. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance in faith of the saints. Those destined for captivity because they are saved during this time in human history, and so through persecution they are imprisoned or they are killed, Don't be discouraged, because those who kill with the sword, with the sword, they must be killed. What is he simply telling us? He's saying whether you're locked up in prison or you are killed by the sword, God is going to make every right wrong. God will not forget his people 
So keep pressing on. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. Now, how are we going to apply this? Let me suggest three applications as we close. Number one, we are to remain faithful no matter how bad we are treated. Remember, this was written not just for those living in the future, but it's initially written the Revelation to seven churches that existed 2,000 years ago and every church like ours that have read it in 2,000 years. There's some lessons here to remain faithful, to persevere no matter how bad we are treated. Someday God is going to make every wrong right. Someday those who've been harmed will indeed see justice. In Paul's day, persecution was great. And he reminded the church at Thessalonica, for after all, it is only just for God to repay affliction with those who afflict you. Wonderful. When's it going to happen? You see, the apparent prosperity of the lost who have always hated God's people, they always seem to be winning. They just haven't read the end of the story. Because God is going to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, for that's what eternal life is. Not just knowing that God exists, all men know that, but having a personal born-again relationship with him. To those who do not know God and to those who do not obey or respond to the gospel of our Lord Jesus because God commanded you to be born again. And if you refuse that, you will meet God. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Secondly, this text reminds me we should not fear the devil, but we should certainly respect him. Don't fear him, but respect him. Michael the archangel said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. He saw that God is the ultimate authority, and we've seen that all the way through the Revelation. Even in this chapter, I have it underlined four times in this chapter, given to him. In verse 5a, a mouth was given to him. 5b, authority to act for 42 months was given to him. 7a, to make war was given to him. 7b, he has authority over every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. It was given to him. Four givens to the Antichrist, to blaspheme, to lead, to persecute, to rule. Now, who gave him these freedoms? Well, the immediate source was the evil one. But as Luther would say, the devil is God's devil. We've seen all the way through the Revelation that the devil is on a leash. He is under the control of a sovereign, omnipotent God. He can only do what God allows him to do. A brother in Christ out of fellowship with the Lord said to me one day, I'm afraid of Satan. I said, you ought to be afraid of Satan. As long as you continue to control your life and live outside of the will of God. But if you choose to live within the parameters of God's will, you can hold on to the promise with all of your might, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that nothing can happen to you unless it is filtered through the hands of a sovereign God. It's like going to the zoo. You see that lion to which Satan is compared to? Prowling up and down that cage. You put your hand in the cage. Look out. 
But if you respect him and you keep your distance, you have nothing to fear. This section of Scripture underscores that truth that we should respect the devil, but we don't need to fear him. Finally, we do not have to be here for this coming time of tribulation. You don't have to be here for this coming time. Now, in verse 9, we read it. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. I read that. Do you notice something's missing from this verse? Seven times over, we read it in chapters 2 and 3, a very similar statement. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What's missing? The church. Because the church will be taken out. The church will be caught up. The church will be raptured, and it could happen today. And unless you're listening to me somewhere in the world and you just haven't heard the gospel, you might have a chance But I'm going to give you the gospel right now. Jesus died, was buried, and was raised. And if you do nothing with that, you have zero chance. And you are destined for unbelief for the seven-year tribulation period and ultimately for the eternal lake of fire. Now, if you die and go to hell, you'll have no one to blame but yourself. Because God who set the penalty made a provision for you and his son, Jesus. You call upon him today. He'll receive you, for he receives sinful men. Our Father, thank you that this is not simply what you have said. This is what you are saying. This is not just about the future, though it is. We acknowledge it. But this is also about today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and wills today to respond. I pray that we would care about the souls of the people around us, that we would not come to this church week after week just to be fed, but that we would own and take seriously the Great Commission, that as we gather each week, we would serve your people, for in so doing, you have called us to build up one another because we're members one of another, But then during the week, as we're scattered, help us to be faithful, to care about the souls of men and women and boys and girls, and point them to the Lord Jesus before it is forever too late. Father, help us to see the writing on the wall as the American evangelical church continues to apostatize in preparation for the coming great apostasy. Help us to have our eyes wide open to walk circumspectly right in the center of your will, obeying you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength by your grace. Help someone today here, Father, who's unsure of their destiny, wherever they may be listening. They're not sure heaven is their home because they've never rested, your word says, in the finished death, burial, and resurrection to make an eternal payment. They're thinking today that in the back of their heads, there's something that is not good enough. Help them to see, Father, by the Spirit of God, that they can never be good enough, that Jesus saves, that their human effort is not the way, but that He is the way, and that there is salvation in no one else. Help someone today to say, Lord Jesus, save me. 
help some other child of God who is a member of the body of Christ to become a member of this local assembly of believers. Because we need them and they need us. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. To listen again to today's study from Revelation 13, entitled One Nation Under a False God, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV33. Tomorrow we begin a look at the Devil's Deadly Duo as we continue our study of the Revelation and search the Scriptures.